I'm actually filming is improv because you you often don't get to set up the shots Mm -hmm. you often don't know what's happening in the next second Mm -hmm. so you have to be you are in the moment like filming and following the story and following the conversation which could turn into a fight which could turn into a hug which could turn into um someone leaving suddenly who do you follow like it's it's a million different decisions in kind of each moment and your body it's physical because your body is involved and you have to know which way to turn the camera and you know and often if I'm filming and is behind me whispering to your left to your left to your left you know because you can't possibly see it all She grew up in the asparagus capital of the country, but that's not the sole reason she began her filmmaking career with the film Asparagus Stalking the American Life. Kirsten grew up on a farm in Shelby, Michigan, with parents who insisted that the arts were a big part of her and her sister's upbringing. She also grew up with an Irish storyteller for her father, which was where she found the spark of improvisational comedy in getting through daily farm life and cultivated that talent in her college years. I've been in awe of Kirsten's storytelling and directorial eye since we were college roommates, and now the world gets to see her gifts. She and her co-producer, Anne DeMar, directed and produced The Home Stretch, a documentary that follows three high school students in Chicago who are homeless. It's an incredible story, and they won a well-deserved Emmy for it in 2015. Here's the rest of Kirsten's story. Thanks so much for coming on this podcast. I am so excited to talk to you about everything that you have done since college and since last we've seen each other, which, if you can believe, was 17 years ago. I, I can't believe it, and I can believe it, because it, it feels like it's been a long time since I've seen you. Yeah. So, <laughs> But first, we're going to play a quick game of this or that, which is I'm going to give you um, two words, and you choose which best describes you, and that's just so our audience can kind of get a very vague picture of you, okay? Okay. All right. Hershey's chocolate bar or Reese's peanut butter cup? Peanut butter cup. (laughs) Are you introvert or extrovert? Extro. The book or the movie? The book. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Coffee or tea? Depends on which day. Okay, winter. Cold and snowy coffee okay uh then summer would it be oh okay uh the beach or the mountains beach morning or night night Hmm. okay so you and I were college roommates and we shared the stage and we shared um some directing together you are now behind the camera when did it turn from stage to film for you? You know, it wasn't uh, one day it was this and the next day it was that. It was a very long journey. But I still feel that they were tandem 
um, crafts mm-hmm. and one kind of evolved out of the other, but mm-hmm. I feel they're very connected. Um, so, you know, it wasn't until I went kind of my final year in grad school, uh, for theater directing that I, um, found out that there was kind of this whole story going down in my little small hometown, which is like a farming community. And, you know, it was this process, um, I was working with, um, actually a playwright at the time and she was really interested in the story as well. And we kind of decided that it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a musical or it wasn't a play because we really wanted the people in the community to tell the stories themselves. They were so awesome. And so we just tried to find the best people we could in the documentary world to help us learn how to do this thing. Right. So your first, your first time behind the, the camera was for documentary and yeah. it was, it was the, what was the name of it? Uh, it was called Asparagus Stalking the American Life. Yep. <laughs> I think I watched it. I think I watched it. I found it years ago. And it's a yep. great little documentary. And tell Thank us a little you. bit about it. Why did you, what was the story that you wanted to tell? Yeah, so the story was, it's really a David and Goliath story about this um, little tiny farming community who really got its whole identity both economically and kind of just community spirit wise from this one vegetable and you know it didn't grow the most asparagus in our nation but it claimed the title and it got um you know it planned the first asparagus festival um so you know it was really part of the identity you know every kid in our high school picked asparagus all the moms picked asparagus um, there were asparagus queens and there was, I was part of an asparagus dance troupe going, growing up <laughs> and, you know, it just became a really fun unifying thing for our community. And then going back years later, you know, and my dad was still farming, you know, you really saw the effects of NAFTA and free trade and kind of the, I, the idea of like agribusiness, like overwhelming small family farms and, you know, it was just following that story as, um, you know, as it, as the community kind of lost its identity, lost its crop. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Was that your first big project outside of grad school? Yeah, it was. I mean, we really like the last year of grad school while I was doing my thesis and everything, we Mm -hmm. were really planning this documentary. So really that summer, you know, right after I graduated from Juilliard, it was like, you know, we went back to Michigan and really filmed during that asparagus season. Yeah. Go, go back to whenever you discovered your ability or your, your need to tell stories in a creative way. When your childhood, when, when was that? Do you, do you remember if there was a moment? Yeah. You know, it's, I was very lucky in living in this small town and for two reasons connected to storytelling. One was that I had a mom who was just adamant about my sister and I getting involved in the arts, like taking dance classes. She would drive 
you know, we would have to drive often pretty far Mm -hmm. for singing classes or to go see, you know, a traveling Broadway musical or a play or, you know, so I, I, you know, she just made sure we had a more expanded kind of life with that. Yes, right. Um, And then, you know, it was really, I think, through my dad, who's, you know, this very gregarious, funny Irish storyteller (laughs) kind of person. Right. And we would have these, like, super long hours working on the farm, like, literally picking up rocks all day in Mm. these fields we were clearing or something. And so he and I would just, like do different voices and tell these stories and do like almost improv evolved stories that we would just kind of try to outdo each other to entertain (laughs) us. You know, it was like he would be Julia Child and I would be somebody else and we would make this weird lasagna or, you know, it was just like we were just filling up our brains, you know, and entertaining ourselves. So... I think that's where where like it comes from. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I can picture you guys doing that out in the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's still, I think it's kind of our bond yeah. in that way. Like really. You did. Yeah. You did a lot of improv though too. Yeah, in college, I I got to really understand what that was and loved it and just loved the laughter mm-hmm. involved with it and. You know, I think from all of that improv with him, mm. that kind of, I was able to sort of access that skill of quick, quick wit. Yeah, right. I'm not saying I was necessarily funny, but I <laughs> felt like I was that, quick in those situations. And that's a skill that not, I mean, I think a very small percentage of actors have it. You know, yeah. I definitely don't. <laughs> I've never had it. And I'm and I'm okay admitting that. That is a gift for another actor. <laughs> I, I think that's as we get older too. Like you you really start to like claim what 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 your gifts aren't. Yes. Which I think is great. It's powerful. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. And it allows us to laugh even more, you know, right. when we're not trying so hard to do everything so well yeah oh my gosh that's so true yeah and allowing others to use their gifts and stepping aside and I think that's a a mature thing too totally yeah okay so after the asparagus film and do you know where people can see it is it available for people to download it or do you have to purchase it yeah, it's still, so this was before the whole, like, right. craziness of the download world. It's still, you can still get a DVD of it. You can order that online. And then we were thinking of just putting it online yeah. with a resource at some point. But honestly, the last couple of years with the other films just kind of right. overwhelmed. <laughs> so yeah. that, that has been low on the totem pole in terms of priority. Yeah. Let's get to your next, was your next documentary, The Home Stretch? Yeah. Okay. Let's get to that because before you did that, you were, you were directing Shakespeare in Chicago, correct? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you were primarily working with high school students or were you with a repertory or what? So it, it was a lot of, of everything. So I, I really did keep my sort of one leg in the theater world. Yeah. Okay. And then one leg in the documentary world. Um, and you know, it took us a long time to find our second film. 
Mm. Uh, and I think that was good. And I did a lot of, you know, theater directing both in New York and Chicago. And then I co-created this um, youth program with Chicago Shakespeare and Chicago Public Schools. Okay. So it was with, um, we really wanted to bring in students and their English teachers mm. to be um, part of this kind of very professional production, like right. fully costumed, fully um, designed. Um, and then we really wanted to invite students specifically from the worst test score schools, mm. the schools who weren't getting those programs, the kids who might not be getting the good grades, but yes. might have a spark in a different way. So we were, we were bringing usually between eight and 10 different schools together to do one production. Now, did you do more than one production that way? Eight, nine years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them made it into your home stretch. One of the actors, Rocky, he was in your documentary. So what is that? How that's how your next documentary came. Was it yeah. you being involved and you were like, hey, there is a, a story that needs to be told here? Yep. So basically, um, it, you know, it wasn't the, the youth who was, it wasn't Rocky who was featured in the film. This was a couple years before that. Okay. There was a young man who was super talented, you know, all a student, just great, great young man. And, you know, we'd been working together about three or four weeks and his teacher came up to me and said, just so you know, Sean's having a little difficulty. He's dealing pretty much with homelessness right now. And, you know, it was just one of those moments where your world is one way and then this curtain is just whipped yeah. back to right. this whole other world. And so it was really that moment and then t working with that teacher and learning more from this uh, youth what his journey was like mm -hmm. that, you know, it was really like this really truly was a subject nobody was really talking about in the, in the crisis way that the numbers were yeah, adding up. That's crazy because he was not just the only one. There was thousands. Yeah. I mean, when we started the numbers in Chicago public schools was around 15,000 yeah. And when we ended, it was up to 22,000. Hmm. Part of that, I think, was because they were learning how to engage youth better and counting yeah. in a better way. Right, okay. Um, but then at that point, there was, um, I think it was like 1.5, 1.6 million nationwide. Yeah. And those are the kids who just come forward. Right, because a lot of, a lot of them hide it. A lot of them hide. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's, it's, you know, we'll never end homelessness. Right. You know, I, I look at some of these like political campaigns where like, we'll end homelessness by 2020 or whatever. <laughs> and it's, families are always going to break apart. Yeah. There is always going to be, you know, brain health issues yep. and it will always be a complex issue, but right. we do, we do know solutions that help dramatically. Yeah, right. So just so um, our listeners know what we're talking about, your your film, Homestretch, The Homestretch, was it followed three lives, um, three high school students who were homeless, and they all had completely different stories. And so 
how long did it take you to film it? I noticed that the seasons changed in the film, and I was it. It makes me wonder every winter, like how can somebody actually spend an entire evening in this weather? So, how long did it take you to film it, and what was the process? How did it? How did it affect you? Mm-hmm. It took us. I mean, we filmed over five years. Oh wow! And it wasn't. It's like one of these when these bigger social justice issue documentaries um, happen, you often don't know how long it's going to take you. And, you know, we originally thought it would take us one to two years and that we would follow the youth just through graduation. Yeah. And when we got to graduation, we immediately, things immediately changed for them. It's like school provided this foundation. It was a place where adults checked in with them, where they cared for them, where they got fed, where they could shower, where they had emotional support, which is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And then immediately on graduation, which you work hard, 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 hard for, you get that graduation and the next day there is no school. There's no support. And And all of the youth we were working with really kind of fell apart in one way or the other, because it was like the scramble for what's next. Hmm. It's not a normal, it's not a quote unquote normal trajectory to just, okay, you're off to college now. And we have, we, so that's the point where we said, we have to keep filming. Here's, here's where the story Mm, is. Right. It doesn't end there. (laughs) Right. It just, you know, and you see all these stories where, you know, happy graduation at the end yeah. of the film, you know? Yay, these people are living lives now with jobs and homes and families, and they're probably <laughs> not. <laughs> well, wow. I'm know. glad you continued the filming. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's true. I remember there was like a graduation ceremony, and that was probably at the halfway point in the documentary. Yep, that's exactly right. Now, Personally, do you check in with these kids? Is it possible even to check in with them? How are they doing today? Yeah, they're, um, you know, the film, in terms of audience reach, did really well. I mean, we had a pretty extensive outreach campaign that dealt with social action. Mm -hmm. And the youth were very involved in that. So they Mm. all became advocates. They all were invited to, you know, do speaking, be guest speakers, be keynotes, be on panels. They traveled with the film to film festivals. Um, You know, it's, it's really, it's changed them each in individual ways. Um, And, you know, it's, but it's still a struggle for them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like Rocky is, um, you know, he's undocumented mm. and, you know, he is, you know, part of DACA, but he's not eligible for any scholarships. Mm. So he has to work full time and, you know, he really has to pay for every single credit he signs up for. Right. So, you know, at the very least, it's going to take him eight years mm. to get through college because he can really only go part time. Right. And, you know, and then he always can't go some semesters because a family emergency or he has to help his sister or, you know, he's really the rock in his family. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So, and and Casey's really, you know, she's a survivor. I mean, she and school do not mix. 
and that's okay. Yeah. And she go, you know, she gets jobs and she makes it through and mm -hmm. she's, you know, still, you know, but there's still challenges. She doesn't have a consistent sort of family support. Yeah. Right. And, you know, in our young twenties, we always had that support to go back to. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, that, that was, that was definitely an eye opening documentary and I'm so glad independent lens picked it up and they, um, and you won an Emmy for it. You guys won an Emmy for it in 2015. Is that the year that I read? Yeah, it was an Emmy for the 2015 year. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So if anybody wants to watch it, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, but you can download it on Amazon, probably anywhere else you can rent it or buy it. Even yeah. I would support it, but purchase it, purchase your own and pass it around to your friends. <laughs> Yeah, that it was it was a great documentary and I was very impressed with the work that you guys did. How when you approach a film that tells a story that deeply emotional, how do you getting to the creative side? How do you set up the shots? Who is the person that thinks about the camera angles and the questions and and when you actually start filming? Mhm. Mm well, I'm super lucky to have such a long-time collaborator in my film partner, Anne DeMare. When did you and, meet her? Huh? When did you meet her? So I met her in Chicago in, like, 1997. Okay. And she was a playwright, and I directed a play of hers at, like, a Chicago storefront called Straw Dog. Yeah. Uh, theater. And um, we just hit it off, and I really loved her brain, and she was so smart and courageous and risky you know, took risks and yeah. I don't know, there was just a, an immediate click and she was kind of very, um, infa you know, infatuated with stories of Americana, which is what attracted her, I think, to the asparagus yeah. film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know, it just has been one of these great long-term yeah. collaborations. And so we both think about that. Yeah. Um, you know, there are definite skills we each have that complement each other to be able to do these big, huge, intensive, emotional films. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're both, we both film. Yeah. We so hire, um, cinematographers in sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes it's so intimate and emotional that having a big crew in is not helpful. Just you and a camera uh, then. Yeah. And you know, I still say the most, used skill in when I'm actually filming is improv yeah, because wow. you, you often don't get to set up the shots. Mm -hmm. You often don't know what's happening in the next second. Mm -hmm. So you have to be, you are in the moment like filming and following the story and following the conversation, which could turn into a fight, which could turn right. into a hug, which could turn into um, someone leaving suddenly, who do you follow? Like it's, it's a million different decisions in kind of each moment and your body it's physical because your body is involved and you have to know which way to turn the camera. And, you know, and often if I'm filming and is behind me whispering to your left, to your left, to your left, <laughs> you know, or it, cause you can't possibly see it all. Right. So, you know, and sometimes I'm holding the boom mic and, you know, she's filming and we're in a car and I'm under the seat trying to get, <laughs> this, you know, it's, it's yeah. just really weird 
situations that you just have to go with. When have you ever had a moment where you had to just turn off the cameras because it was too much? Totally. Yeah, totally. what happens? Yeah, I mean, we approach our this kind of more intimate filmmaking subjects with really trying to make the film with people. Right. And we've always said we're human beings first, we're filmmakers second. Mm -hmm. And there's sometimes dicey situations and there's sometimes people can't handle the camera there. Right. And that's okay. Like, I it just, we're not, you know, we're not chasing the reality exploitive journey. Right. Like, that's just not what we're doing. And that comes through, definitely came through in the home stretch. It Thank was you. a collaboration. It was, it was a really nice partnership with your interviewees, your subjects and you guys. Yeah. I mean, because it's, if you're making these personal journey documentaries, mm -hmm. you know, we're not making, you know, totally valuable, but we're not making it 60 minutes piece yeah. or a frontline piece. And they're great right. investigative reports. This is not, this is a different thing. Right. I, um, there was a part in the home stretch where it was you directing Rocky in Hamlet's. It was Hamlet, right? Hmm? And I just got goosebumps. You were like, look, you need to reach back into your life and, and feel these words that Hamlet is saying. And that's, I think that's amazing that Shakespeare, you know, he's so, we use the word relevant today all the time talking about Shakespeare. And that was a really great um, example of that. And I just, I loved that scene. I thought it was great. And you could see the change in his eyes. <laughs> you know, he went back and did that scene. And yeah, that was great. I loved about that project was, you know, I think that, and I felt this way too, like kind of coming from a small town, like, you know, we had good schools. We didn't have genius schools. Like, yeah. you know, we, there wasn't, we had some Shakespeare, but it wasn't this like literary. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like invitation into this literary world or anything. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think sometimes art and literature can feel like it's somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're not grown up with it or you're not your family, it's not part of their tradition. It can feel like that's, that culture, yeah. quote unquote culture, doesn't include me. Right. And when you see those moments where you can make those connections where, no, actually, yeah. Your experience is this. Yeah, right. You know, you you are more interesting when you bring yourself mm -hmm. and all that you feel and have experience to it yep. than the other way around. There's no right way to do Shakespeare. Yeah. Are you working on anything right now? That you can okay. talk about? <laughs> Not disclosure agreements. <laughs> sorry, yeah. everybody's sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on a, a, a couple different things. I mean, you know, part of this idea of sustaining your life as 
an artist Mm -hmm. or a storyteller or a filmmaker in choosing to work on stories that are not necessarily for, they should be to mass audiences, but Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily going to get 20 million on Netflix or something. (laughs) Um, You know, and committing to that, I think you're, you know, you have to sustain yourself Mm -hmm. and you also have to be healthy and build a healthy family and, you know, wear many hats. Yeah. And being in the right frame of mind to be able to do these intensive things, Mm -hmm. not always easy, but you try. So, you know, I'm working now on several kind of shorter projects. Um, all one is an animation project, um, based on kind of real life stories of Rosie the Riveters. Oh yeah. Cool. (laughs) So, yeah, and it's kind of taking that we can do it poster girl and giving it much more life and reality behind that. And who was Rosie the River? It was all these kinds of women. Yeah. Of life. So. And you said that's animated? Yeah. So we're working with um, some great women animators and going to build kind of this series of shorts, like five minute long pieces about different kinds of Rosies who like had great stories during the war and stuff. So yeah. wow, that sounds really fun. Um, and then working on a short piece about the sisterhood of Salam Shalom, which oh. is Muslim and Jewish women who are uniting yeah. together to fight hate crimes and yeah. the prejudice that's happening against both their communities. Wow. It's really fascinating. And it's sort of bringing in a, a whole thread of faith and, yeah women and faith mm-hmm. and um yeah I'm really excited about that and then Anne and I are working on a new feature which is going to take a couple of years, couple of years. but it's really about um, we're working with a former Nashville cop who mm-hmm. is a survivor of domestic violence wow. and he now train goes across the country and trains uh, police units and kind of counties both urban and rural to better respond to domestic violence within their communities Mm, and really asks men to take crucial leadership roles in making change around domestic violence. So really taking it away from the narrative of like women as victims Mm -hmm. and saying it's a man, it's a 98, 98% of crimes are male. Yeah. And say we, we have to, deal with the violence among us yeah so you said that's going to take a little years to film that one yeah I mean we're we're kind of in the so we hope it'll be out in 2020 oh great that's great um so are you uh like a contractor do you do are you a freelancer do you work for an organization as a how are you using your creativity to um live your life (laughs) So uh, right now I'm both. Okay. Um, I still, you know, I I think I was 18 years I was freelance. Okay. And then about two years ago I took pretty much a full-time job with this um, film company called Transform Films. Okay. And I'm a senior producer there. And that's where I'm working on the Salam Shalom film. Oh, okay, gotcha. With. And so I do various projects for them. And okay. And then do some on my side as well. And Yeah. Do you, looking back and 
currently, do you have books that have helped you in your creative process? I, early on, like right after Calvin, I did the Artist's Way, you know, in Chicago when I was sort Morning of pages. trying to figure this all out. And that was a transformative experience at yes. that time. Yeah. It comes out in a lot of conversations with creative people, especially from in the 90s when it was written, the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that was, that's a really good, that's a, that's a good resource for people who are just trying to figure out what they're doing with their creativity. Totally. totally. Do you yeah, have I don't know. And like, I always like really appreciated Peter Brooks directing books, but also felt they were about more than directing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any favorite podcasts that help you in your, either just to unwind, favorite podcasts, favorite television shows, radio shows? What, what do you listen to? Yeah. Hmm. Podcasts. I really love Anna Sales and Death, Sex, and Money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's, she, you know, you end up talking about things that aren't in a normal interview with someone. Yeah. And where those three things, inter, you know, intersect. Yeah. Are really interesting places. Right. And so I always, I always love what she's gonna, she's gonna do. I mean, I love on being. Mm -hmm. I yep. listen to that a lot. Um, I've been listening to a lot of like interesting kid science ones for my son who's six and do you listen to the brains on yes totally <laughs> yeah we listened to that for a long time too yep yeah i'll have and... to give you a couple of others if because the science podcasts were our favorites to listen to together yeah, yeah it's great and for car trips and stuff like that yeah so. there's a couple of really great storytelling ones too for kids that are really oh fun. good send them to me yeah i, I will i, I will <laughs> what about what about rituals? Do you have any rituals that ground you? I do need to, be, I'm kind of an insomniac. Mm -hmm. And so my ritual before bed to shut my brain down is I have to read fiction. Mm -hmm. I can't read nonfiction because I'll turn it into a documentary and <laughs> get brain going. Um, but I love getting sort of wrapped up into a world. Yeah. And like really winding down there. So I've always, always had to do that. This has been so fun talking to you. <laughs> I, I am, I'm going to put tons of links um, in our show notes so people can read or watch all of your films and connect with you. Do you have a website or um, any kind of social media that you want to share? Sure. Yeah. Um, I can send it to you, but it's, um, it, there's the Homestretch doc. Okay. .com. Yep. And then there's spargleproductions.com. So S P A R G E L productions. And that kind of lists our current projects and stuff. And okay. Spargle, just so you know, is German for asparagus. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. It calls us Sparkle. Yeah. Spark Productions. Spark We're like, no, no, it's Sparkle. <laughs> Chicago. Say it with a German accent. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Kirsten.
Oh, this is so fun. Thank you for asking. And it's so great to see your face and hear your voice. Thank you for listening. You can find links to Kirsten's documentaries and works in progress at this week's show notes at smithical.com. Just look for episode 11 under the podcast tab. Next week, I talk with a Pittsburgh-based artist who has used her artistic abilities in many media, including painting and performance art, to express, among other things, her experiences of brokenness turned to beauty. Here's a clip of my conversation with Suzanne Werder. That in the Bible, it says that God is making all things new, not that he's making all new things. God recycles. <laughs> wow, that's great, yeah. And he, um, you know, just... <laughs> takes our brokenness and transforms it into beauty, you know. Uh, for I've given you beauty for ashes. Um, so I, I really see art as a vehicle for me to echo that redemptive process uh, and kind of redeeming materials that otherwise, you know, it, there's kind of an alchemy that happens with uh, making art. You know, yeah. you're transforming stinky you know chemicals or you know just base materials and transforming them that episode is live next wednesday june 13th until next time